The Start On On Demand. We're back from our Christmas break and we come back to the news that Regina's Mosaic Stadium is being transformed into a giant skating rink. Where would you like to skate? What's the coolest place in which you've ever skated? Tristan Field-Jones has put together an important feature on five Manitobans who have lost loved ones to COVID-19. He spoke to all of these Manitobans and they wanted to speak out to remind people that this pandemic isn't just about numbers or stats, it's about people. And a warehouse containing donations for a women's shelter went up in flames on Christmas Eve, no less. We'll speak to the Winnipeg woman who was behind collecting those donations and how an outpouring of support has ensued. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling, who's back on Thursday, and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, December 29th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Yes, this is live. Mackling's off today, but I'm here. And McNabb is here. Hello there, Loren. Good morning. How was your f- days? Your days is plurals off. Yeah, it, well, it kind of ended up feeling sort of like one long day <laughs> uh, because it, it was fairly uneventful and really unproductive, like shockingly unproductive. I had a couple of things I wanted to get done around my apartment. I did nothing. All I did, like the, the big highlight of every day was the, the walk I would go for. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, uh, it was pretty quiet. Christmas Eve was nice. That was the day where I went to see my dad for dinner. I went over for leftovers on Christmas Day, but Christmas Eve, that's when I stopped off to to meet Liz Carpenter, whom we spoke with last week, because she offered to make us or make me and my dad Christmas dinner. Uh, she texted uh, the station a couple weeks back, so I stopped in at her place and picked up the dinner. And uh, it was funny how it worked out, Loren, because, you know, as, as I'm sitting there eating the meal with my dad, he says, who made this again? <laughs> Which means he's like, I don't care where it came from. It's tasty. So, but as long he fun- as it wasn't you cooking, I think, is what he was thinking. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that would have been a, a bowl of uh, Tim Horton's birthday cake Timbit cereal for dinner if, if, it was, if I was in charge. But Liz, uh, he, he says, who made this for you? I said, well, Liz and Bill Carpenter. And he stops and he says, Bill Carpenter? I worked with a Bill Carpenter like 40 years ago at CN. So I texted her and said, did, uh, did Bill ever work for CN? And she says, well, he's just out dropping off another dinner for the kid at the gas station. So I'll ask him when he gets back. I know he did work at CN. And uh, she says 10 minutes later, yep. Oh, yeah, I remember Gordy. Yeah, we worked at the data center on Main Street. So Of course. How small a world is it? Yes. No, I, I, I'm so pleased to hear that because that, like, that's just the kind of thing that happens all the time. But if you don't ask, because you always think, oh, I'm not going to ask, right? There's, what are the odds of this? And then sure enough, there you have that connection. So they, they brought a meal to someone they knew without knowing it. Yeah. So that was nice. And the dinner was great too. Uh, it was nice to have sort of a traditional Christmas dinner with turkey and mashed potatoes and meatballs and stuff. So that was nice. Did you uh, have a fun Christmas with the family? I did. You know, like it was just the, the four of us, but we did some new things this year. We joined up at the group Peg City Kindness on Thursday to drop off some food hampers for families who were looking for um, some extra love on Christmas. And so that was a nice thing to do. And I dropped off a meal uh, for a friend. And, and then we just spent a lot of time together. You know, um, one of the things that I've wasted about eight hours on over the last 48 hours or so is that Santa left these puzzles in our stocking, like where you have to try to 
unhook pieces of metal that have been hooked together. Oh, or, yeah. You know, like where it's like a gadget and you have to do, all you have to do is unhook the two rings or uh, unhook these two G's that look like they're welded together. And I have painstakingly like sat there over and over again and I'll figure it out, but then I can't figure out how I figured it out. And so I have to go back to the drawing board. So it's been kind of funny because my, because that used to be a big thing in our family. So we brought back some old traditions and I like, I get, I get it. This was hard for many, many people, but I liked the slower pace for sure. The month overall was weird because when we going into the month of December, I was sad because I thought, well, this is going to be a quiet, lonely, boring month because December is always so packed full of social excursions. And uh, I look forward to that component. Every Friday, Saturday, I end up booking with, uh, you know, one friend here, another friend there. So that's fun. And I thought it would be lonely. Turned out I kind of didn't mind the quiet month because December, like I said, it's always fun, but it's always so busy and exhausting. So I kind of liked just being, turns out being a recluse kind of suits me, but um, it was the the Christmas Eve and Christmas day overall was so quiet. And the gift exchange (laughs) between me and my dad was the quickest Christmas gift exchange ever. Um, Obviously, uh, you know, as I've gotten older, there are fewer gifts under the tree. But like, he had one gift for me. I had one gift for him. It took all of like five minutes for each, each of us to open our gifts. And, and that was that. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, that was I mean, that we had fewer gifts in part because some just didn't arrive, but also because, you know, we made a choice this year to just it became too difficult to try to get the things he wanted to do based on some of the shopping experiences. Right. And so I feel like there was less but it felt like more because of the pace of which it was at like and, and I've really found my way of getting through some of the days in terms of you know not having a lot going on is that I give myself one task you know like today I'm gonna make turkey soup with the leftovers and then if I do that I feel like all right I can lay on this couch and not feel guilty about it so, <laughs> like, it's like one thing like one thing okay yeah I dropped that bag off at the thrift store okay Day's done. <laughs> well, hey, you you did more than I did because every day I thought, okay, I, I need to do like, I'm gonna pull out a box, one box out of the closet, see what's in that box and what I can keep and what I should throw away. But instead, I just ended up rewatching seasons one and two of The Mandalorian, and uh, and I was perfectly content with that. I, I'll just kick that can down the road. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Lorenz, say they have no plans to follow in the footsteps of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders who are in the process of turning the field at Mosaic Stadium into a gigantic outdoor rink. Yeah, and if you wanted to see some pictures of the rink, you could head to our website, cjob.com, globalnews.ca, because we're, of course, interested in what the Rough Riders are doing, whether we like them or not. In this case, many people like what they're doing, building this outdoor rink, Brett. And so we asked the Winnipeg Blue Bombers if they had any consideration to building their own outdoor rink at IGF, and the answer was no. In the meantime, this is what we know about what's happening in Regina. The cost of turning that field at Mosaic Stadium into an outdoor rink is about $200,000. But the group that operates the rink, which is the Regina Exhibition Association, they say thanks to some volunteer work and some corporate sponsorship, there really shouldn't be any expenses. And so that $200,000 should be covered. So Global's Brittany Matika now with how it's all going to work for folks. Field level isn't something everyone gets to experience at Mosaic Stadium, but now is your chance. Grab your skates, lace up to skate on Saskatchewan's largest outdoor rink. 
From end zone to end zone, the ice stretches 110,000 square feet. That's big enough to fit over six NHL-sized ice surfaces inside. Crews have been working around the clock since the beginning of December, pumping 1.3 million liters of water and counting onto the field. And the ice will be ready for skaters on New Year's Eve. When the lights are on and a little bit of snowfall, it really is like your very own snow globe and it's all yours. To keep everyone safe, 30 people will be allowed into Mosaic Stadium for each one hour time slot and masks will be mandatory even on the ice. You will have to register in advance. We'll get you a ticket. You'll scan in when you come in and that way we can track who you are and that you're identified to be here. Uh, you'll come in through one set of doors, you'll leave through another and as you can see everything is physically distanced. Online registration is open. Skating time slots are available from noon to 8 p.m. daily until the end of February and it's free. I think having the ability to have these kind of opportunities, these memories is uh, unique and needed and it'll give everybody that just a chance to connect from a distance and, and, and see other people. Pucks and sticks aren't allowed on the ice right now, but if COVID-19 restrictions change, there could be an opportunity for some pickup hockey and curling. If restrictions do loosen in the spring, the field will be ready for the riders. Until somebody tells us we can't have kickoff, uh, we're going to do our best to let people skate. Then as soon as this water thaws, then we're going to get ready for a CFL season. Brittany Matika, Global News. So one of the voices you heard in that story was with uh, a woman who is with the city of Regina. And so, of course, Regina actually, I believe the city owns Mosaic Stadium, Brett. So that might make it a little bit more easier to make this transition and also maybe eke some of the costs. So, again, it's $200,000 to make this transition from the field to the ice. Uh, and they say because of corporate sponsorship and volunteers that it's actually not costing them anything, that those expenses will be covered. But, of course, that remains to be seen. I do think it's cool. I do like that it's free. I do like that they're limiting the number of people to 30. And so, yes, would it be cool to skate at the stadium? For sure. I don't know if I would then, you know, for as many people are saying, oh, the Bombers should do this, which, by the way, they're not. There'd be people saying, well, hang on, they shouldn't be spending that money right now because the CFL can't be afford to be spending anything right now. And businesses are suffering and all the rest. And so you'd have just as many naysayers on the other side, I think. Yeah, and as you pointed out earlier this morning as well, I think accessibility could be an issue for investors group field. Like if you want to go to a skate, go for a skate, it, it's not necessarily the most convenient place to do it. So while it would be cool, like if if it was an option and it was easy to do, I would probably want to check it out. But at the same time, we already have one of the coolest spots on which to skate every year, and that's the River Trail. So uh, if I if it came down to it and I had a choice, where would you rather skate, the River Trail? or Investors Group Field, I would say the River Trail. Hopefully that happens soon. Just a sidebar on the river. Um, I know that in my neck of the woods, like I live in Osborne Village, so I go for a walk that takes me up Wellington Crescent, and there's a little park called Munson Park. Uh, so that would be on the south side of Academy. And uh, as I look down towards the river, there's still open water on the Assiniboine River. Like It's not a huge chunk. It's like maybe 40 feet long and I don't know, six feet wide. I'm just guessing. I have no clue. Like I'm, it's like I might as well be in the 30th row, looking down to the 50 yard line at Investors Group Field. So I'm just guessing. But there's the point is there's still open water in parts of the Assiniboine River. So who knows how long it's going to take before they can get that thing going? I know the Forks has said they're hoping to get it up and running by January. But yeah, so like the the Forks River Trail would be the the spot for me. Um, Personally, I would, if I could pick anywhere, 
to skate on the planet. I and I've seen. I got to figure out where this is because we see we see these videos every year, and I think there was um, there was a video. Was it last year or the year before where somebody was playing? I think they had like the camera at, at like on the ice or ice level and it was following someone around, I think with a hockey stick and a puck. I believe it was somewhere in Alberta. I don't know if it was Lake Louise or what, but that kind of an environment would be a cool place to, to skate. So we're surrounded by mountains and, you know, forest and that kind of thing. That would be cool. Yeah, I've had the chance to skate at Lake Louise, and it is, it really is awesome. And then, of course, you can go hiking around that lake or snowshoeing or or whatever else you want to do. I did not, could not afford to stay at that hotel right on Lake Louise, but I did go in it and walk around it, if that counts for anything. <laughs> you know, like I think there's already so many cool things in Winnipeg right now that we can do that people maybe don't take advantage of right now, and this is the year to do it. If there's an argument to be made that we perhaps need more of these big public spaces and that the pandemic has highlighted that, that's a whole other part of the equation, right? Like I think we saw when they turned streets into some of those active transportation lanes in the spring, summer and fall, Brett, they really got used and they shut them down and turned them into places for bikes and walking and running. And so that that started a conversation about, well, should we have those kinds of things more permanently? And then if you look at the outdoor rink, if it really is about this big Canadian thing that we all should be doing, which I don't know if we all are, then then the Forks is the ideal place to go. And we're hoping that that will happen as usual this year. But maybe I saw someone else tweet, I believe it was Brent Bellamy, um, architect Brent Bellamy, who talked about maybe the, the field right now or the empty space where the public safety building used to be right by the Red River College downtown campus on Princess Street. Maybe that could be converted into a temporary Rink. If it is about giving people something different to do, a different view, a different place to go, a fresh perspective in these times where we could use it, then yeah, there might be an argument for that. I don't, I don't think we need to have it and copy Regina and do it at IGF though. And as you you mentioned the the public safety building location, when I I've got a clear view of that from up here, and when I first looked down on it and realized that it was clear, I thought it was a rink. Like, it took me a second to, to, to connect the dots and go, oh, yeah, that's where the public safety building was. I just thought it was a massive rink. So that, I think, would be an ideal spot. And I think in terms of accessibility, that wouldn't be so bad. You could get people coming from all directions to, to try that out. Mike texted us with a good skating memory, by the way. He says, one of my favorite places to skate and one that has great memories for me was the Miramichi River in central New Brunswick, where I lived while growing up. It would often freeze solid before any appreciable snow came, and you could skate for miles. Of course, skating back was usually against the wind, and that ties into, I think, Loren, now you talked about, you know, when you put on the skates and go out on a cold day, you're going to hate everything. Well, well, you're going to hate the wind, for sure, depending on which direction you're going, because you're so right. You're like, wow, I'm really flying. turn around to come back and you're like right right the wind and so yeah i i don't know that you know the rivers are really cool maybe there's a room to expand different sections this year if that's what we're talking about in terms of giving people something different i know many years clear lake in wasegamine riding mountain they'll clear the lake and some years it's been so clear in the sense of there's no you know the way it freezes that you can see right down below to the rocks below and sometimes fish and all the rest so i know that sounded really cool in years past Mm. minidosa i always have to bring it back to that they've i don't know who's doing it there but they've got a trail right around the lake you can skate the whole lake you know on the edge in one big circle and so there's different places for different people in different parts of the province to try something new this year and i get that that is what it's about so trying something different is a good way to break up what has been 
obviously a really trying time. And, and if you have more time on your hands, then now's the time to do it too, right? Maybe you don't have all those activities with the kids or places to go. There's no shop, not as much shopping to do, no theaters to get to. And so now's the time to try some of those things that you said, oh, I always wish, wish I could, which is we're going to hit that topic tomorrow, I believe. That's right, because tomorrow in this segment, we're going to speak to somebody uh, with whom we haven't spoken to in a while, sommelier from 529 Wellington, Christopher Sprague. And we're going to talk, of course, about wine, but... We're also going to ask him about his cross-country skiing experience because when I texted him yesterday, he got back to me a couple hours later and he says, I'm sorry, I, I didn't get back to you. I was I was learning how to cross-country ski and I spent more time on my butt than I did on the skis, but it was fun. So he tried something new, so we want to talk about is there something winter related that you want to try for the first time? Because I think we're seeing a lot of that now. I'm seeing every time I go for a walk, I see it doesn't matter what the weather is. I see a lot of people outside and, you know, whether I saw people on snowshoes at the park the other day, saw some kids learning how to cross country ski. So we'll talk about that tomorrow. We want to talk now about skating because something pretty neat, pretty cool is happening in Regina. Loren, what's happening there? Well, Mosaic Stadium, that's of course where the Rough Riders play, and someone has to insert a boo here on Greg's behalf, but they've actually done something really cool. They've turned the, they're in the process of turning the entire field into a giant outdoor rink, the largest outdoor rink in Saskatchewan. It will open January 1st. They're going to allow 30 people in to skate at a time, and it's a pretty cool initiative, and we just because they're doing that, we asked the Bombers, looking at doing something similar here? And the answer was no, but it had us thinking outdoor rinks are pretty popular and, and where are some of the coolest places people have skated, Brett? Yeah, so we want to know where have you skated? Like what was your favorite spot where you have skated or where would you like to skate? Or maybe you don't like skating and you can tell us why you don't like skating. Like maybe you had a traumatic experience like Loren, one of our colleagues, for example, when she was a kid, she was into figure skating, but she uh, jabbed, I guess she like dug her toe into the ice and she got a spiral, something called a spiral fracture. She basically had a break like all the way up her leg and uh, has not been on skates ever since. But 204-780-6868. We've got Skylar Peters in for Jeff Braun. We've got Cam. Oh. Camry in there? Yes, he's in the news booth in the dark, like some sort of a troll. <laughs> Everybody here's in the dark. Yeah, Forte's in I'm the dark. I'm always in the dark here. Yeah, that's true. Forte's <laughs> always in the dark. Uh, so, Forte, do you like to skate? Confession: I have not skated since I was twelve. What's to confess? I haven't either. Well, it's, it's I don't know. I just find it a little embarrassing to be a Winnipegger, not be a skater. So. uh I don't yeah. think there's anything to be embarrassed about. I got my first radio job in Dauphin, and I didn't have a pair of skates at the time, and I was must have been 19. And a guy from uh, Vancouver was working there, and he made me feel terrible that I didn't have a pair of skates. <laughs> really? Well, exactly. Yeah. Did you well, punch him? No, I didn't. <laughs> I should have punched him, no, but he's like, I can't believe you live in Manitoba and don't have skates. And, I, and so actually I went out that night, and I was making pittance i was like i was poor is all poor and i went out because he made me feel bad and i bought a pair of skates that yeah. next paycheck okay, well here, here's another thing is that like do i want to invest in some skates because how much am i going to actually use them if i actually buy some skates that's why you get them used mine are used purchased i want to say like 12 years ago of course i skated like you know when i was a kid but then i went back and bought a pair I, oh i want to say in 2008 or something and 
they don't even really fit me, but I think they were like $32 and I'm sticking with them. I just sharpened them for the first time this year in about 10 years. So you don't need it. You don't need fancy skates. Well, breaking in new skates is the worst too. You don't want to get new skates like every four years. Cause like those first, what half dozen, dozen skates, like just cut your feet up. Like if you got those baked in skates and, and you've had them for years, as long as they're not falling apart, just keep them. You have to accept that you're going to get blisters. And your feet are going to be sore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. I feel like this is an intervention for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not hearing anything positive so far. While we're at it, it also might be minus 40, and you're going to hate the first all of it. <laughs> no, I don't mind the cold. Actually, me and Brett were talking about this earlier, about uh, off air. Uh, we like to go for walks, especially around this time of year. It's uh, I don't mind the cold. It's, the, it's also okay. the embarrassment of like having to try to learn, and everyone's staring at me as I'm you know, wobbling all over the place and trying not to fall, so. Yeah, like, I would like to to try the river trail on skates, but my big fear is that I'm going to put on the skates and I'm going to, like, roll my ankle or something just as I'm walking down to the river from the hut at the forks or whatever, but... Uh, I would like to, where I would really like to skate is like on a lake, like you see videos and I, I don't know if it's Alberta, but there's a lake that's like surrounded by mountains and you see uh, the, the ice is so nice and clear. That's the kind of place where I would like to skate. So not so much like at a, well, it would be neat to skate at a football stadium. I think that would be a really nice spot to, to get on a pair of skates is surrounded by mountains and beauty. I'd love to skate at Rockefeller Center in New York. Oh, like that oh would, yeah. That would be True. so cool. That'd be such a great experience, you know? That's a great idea. Yeah. Yes, you need to have, like, some sort um, of uh, love thing happening, like a rom-com, though. You <laughs> sure. And you teach her how to skate. She yes. just puts them on for the first you. time. Or, well, yes, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, she could, teach you, she could teach me how to skate. Skylar, you were about to jump in there. Well, it'd be a little weird uh, skating. Well, skating in a football stadium, period. But skating in an empty football stadium. Uh, when we, when I played high school hockey, we went on a trip to Dallas, uh, and that was pretty much. I think it was just a couple of years after they built uh, the Cowboys' new stadium, which is absurd. So we went on a tour of it, and we went on the uh, on the field, and they're like, "Yeah, just just hang out as long as you want." Like you know, so we're just like throwing the football around at this massive. 85,000 seat stadium and it was like you could like say something and you'd hear it like four times over just echoing so a little different I guess at Mosaic because that's not that big one and it's outdoors but uh, it'd be uh, be pretty different looking it up at all those empty seats. Well Skylar you're you mean you're an active guy you're a fit guy you probably you, you talked about skating so clearly you have some experience uh, where do you like to skate? Uh, I don't like, I haven't skated outdoors a whole lot lately. Like I just, honestly, if I could just be on skates, like playing some beer league hockey, that would be, uh, that'd be the dream right now. But, uh, I guess we'll have to wait until next year for that. Um, I've skated in a couple of, uh, of NHL rinks when they're empty and it's the same kind of thing. It's like, so it's just so weird when they're, you know, you sit in the stands and they're full if you went to like Bell MTS place, but when you're on the ice and you're just, <laughs> you hear everything like echo four times over, it's so weird. Which rinks? Uh, I, and I've been in Winnipeg. Uh, the one in Tampa Bay, Amali Arena, uh, where the Raptors are actually playing now too. Uh, and then in Dallas again at uh, American Airlines Center. And that's cool. And, and the, 
the rinks are really nice and the boards are like soft compared to uh, some of the boards at rinks around like Winnipeg and Brandon. So it's uh, it almost feels like easier to get checked. Um, so that's pretty cool. But um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd take any old rink. I'd play in Fox War in Manitoba if I could right now. <laughs> well, we've got a text here from Deborah who says, growing up, friends and I would walk across the field to clean off the dugout to mm-hmm. skate. It was sunken and very well sheltered. The wind could be howling, but down there it was a different world. That's a neat idea, Loren. The dugout's a sweet spot. We used to have that on the farm. We used to also clear off the slough or the outdoor rink. I I have also had the joy, I just want to know if Skylar experienced this, of skating in in an NHL rink and went and sat in the penalty box of the Curiosity, (laughs) like one of those. And there was a red phone. trip there in my career. There was a red phone in the, the officiant's booth, and all I kept thinking is how much I wanted to use that phone. It was like, where does this phone go? Who are they calling? I need yeah. to know. Will somebody answer if I pick this up right now? Like, It felt like it was a bat phone. Was, I'm sure uh, it just went to the upstairs somewhere, wherever upstairs is. or something. Yeah. The yeah, old sin There was no uh, guy in a shirt and tie when I was uh, taking my two-minute trips to the box there. That's for sure voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Bob Irving. Have you already gone for your morning walk, Bob? No, but I'm dressed and ready to go after I'm finished with you guys. I slept a little later than normal this morning, but I've got my Canada goose jacket and my toque and my warm mitts and my heated socks, and I'm all ready to go. Well, speaking of ready to go, I feel like this is this weekend when I turned on the TV, there was actually a lot of teams and various sports ready to go. Bob, what are you watching and liking right now? Can we start with the NFL? Playoffs, oh, yeah. because... Well, I'm watching the NFL every time they play, and uh, they play on, well, they played Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. They played last night. <laughs> so there's lots of that. Uh, I'm into the NBA a little bit. I like to sort of uh, cruise through the NBA games and see what's going on. World Juniors, of course, although Canada's games so far haven't been very compelling. The one with Slovakia was close. But until they get to the playoffs, that's when you really, I think, focus in on the World Junior Championship. So yeah, I'm finding there's uh, lots of sports to keep me occupied. So the NFL then, let's talk, talk about that because playoffs are coming up. We're into the home stretch here. Uh, what are you liking? Well, you have to like the Kansas City Chiefs, Brett. They're the defending Super Bowl champs. Uh, they keep winning, and they win by close scores. I think the last six games they won by a touchdown or less, but they do find ways to win. I don't know if they get bored at points during games because they they appear to be or have the ability to be so dominant, but you you need to like them. The Green Bay Packers are are having a a terrific year. The Buffalo Bills, man, did they look good last night again beating New England. Uh, They've had a fantastic season. I would say there's seven, eight teams in the National Football League that when the playoffs start have a chance to go very, very deep. I'd be surprised if Kansas City gets beat, but they're beatable. I don't think there's a team now there that's not beatable. I think their playoffs are going to be really intriguing. And the final games of the regular season this Sunday will be intriguing as well because there's lots of teams that are right on the sort of the playoff cusp. And one of them is the Arizona Cardinals, where Chris Strebler is the backup quarterback. And he might start their last game of the season on Sunday because Kyler Murray, their, their number one quarterback, has an injury. And they need to win that game to make the playoffs. If they lose, they won't make the playoffs. So I'll be keeping an eye on the man we call Strevy around here to see if he's finally going to get a chance to play. I think Murray will bounce back and play in the game. Uh, But, boy, would it ever be fun to see Strebler go out there and quarterback the Arizona Cardinals on Sunday. 
Yeah, I have to confess, I don't watch a ton of NFL, Bob. I, I will around playoff time, but not really regularly. And when I saw that about uh, Strevler yesterday and the possibility that he could get that start for the Cardinals, I was excited, which part, part of me feels bad about because that, you know, his fortune would come off the uh, injury of Murray, as you mentioned. When will we know, do you think? Is that something that traditionally waits till game day? Or when will we have a sense of whether or not he'll be in for them? Oh, I think we'll know by Thursday or Friday when uh, we find out if Kyler Murray is practicing with the Arizona Cardinals. I think Murray will play. I saw him get hurt in the game on Sunday, and he walked off the field. He was limping a little bit. Look, Chris Streveler played three games last year, two years ago, for the Bombers with a broken ankle. This is Arizona's biggest game of the year, and if Murray can't shake off what appears to be uh, some, and I don't know for sure, it could be more serious than it appears, but what appears to be an injury that a guy could play with, if he doesn't shake that off and play, then I think you have to question him a little bit. But I think it'll be a little bit later in the week, Thursday or Friday, before we know. Well, hopefully we get to see Strevy in action for the Cardinals and then switching from the gridiron to the ice. The World Juniors, uh, Bob, it was uh, Loren, I think, who remarked on Twitter on Saturday night that the mom in her was having a difficult time watching as Canada laid absolute waste to Germany 16-2. to was that a sentiment you were experiencing, tough to watch? Yeah, I, well, I, I stopped watching it. Uh, and this happens every year in the world, juniors, where Canada or the U.S. or Russia plays one of these teams that really doesn't belong in, in terms of their ability to play the game. They don't belong in the tournament. The International Ice Hockey Federation will always argue that, you know, it develops the sport in these countries. And for players from Germany and, and the teams that suffer these beatings, it's a great experience for them to just be at the World Juniors and play in it. So I think there's two ways to look at it. There are cries, uh, I think, in the last few days from a lot of people saying that some of these teams, Austria is another one, uh, they shouldn't be in this thing. They're just, they just aren't good enough to compete at any level with some of the some of the better teams. So I guess you can pick your sides in that argument. But no, I, I don't watch a game like that to the end. Uh, it just, it, it, I lose total interest in it. Yeah, it wasn't interesting, but I also just really felt for the German goalie. Yeah. And just, he kept looking up and I thought, when are we going to pull this guy? And then I thought, oh no, maybe there's not a, another goalie to bring in because they were already down the one. And so I just, it was, wasn't because I don't understand that, you know, there's this, this point differential, Bob, and that the goal is to get as many points as possible just in case there is a tie in the round robin. I get all that. Yeah. It just became well, really painful. Yeah, it was. And the Germans typically would have been more competitive, but they were down players who were on the COVID list. A, a bunch of them couldn't play, and they played the day before. Uh, they probably, uh, you know, the International Ice Hockey Federation, again, could have delayed the game or done something, but they insisted that they play the game undermanned, and what you get is 16-2. to two. So looking ahead in the tournament, who's going to be the biggest problem for Team Canada? Well, the, the toughest team in their pool is Finland, of course, and uh, you know they'll they'll advance to the playoffs. And then you've got the same story pretty well every year at the World Juniors. Brett, it's Sweden, the U.S., uh, Russia, Canada, uh, Finland to to a degree. Those are your those are your teams that are always going to be at the top. It'll never be anybody else. And so, with juniors, it's kind of hard to predict if if it's the National Hockey League, you have a better idea of what teams are bringing. Canada has a very good team. They got I think it's sixteen or seventeen first round draft picks on their NHL draft picks on their team. So yeah, I, I think Canada's the team to beat, but those other countries that I just mentioned are all good and uh, you know, who knows what can happen when they get to the playoffs. It's one game. One game and you're you can be one and done. So we'll see. But Canada has a good shot like they do every year. 
Bob, before we let you go, I have to ask, I was mentioning that my, Santa left a few fun puzzles in the stocking. And by fun, I mean they have me sitting on the couch for hours on end trying to solve them. They're making my brain want to explode. I hear a Rubik's Cube entered your life based on something you were <laughs> tweeting. It sounds like it's uh, giving you a similar brain melt. Well, I have separated myself from the Rubik's Cube. We've already had a falling out. Now, my grandson, who lives with us, got one, uh, and I've seen them before. We all have over the years. And I spend about two or three minutes kind of twisting them around, and then I go, this will drive me insane. First of all, I'm not smart enough to figure it out. And secondly, I don't know who is. Uh, and so I just find them totally exasperating. I hope I never see one again as long as I live. And I don't know how anybody uh, – have you guys ever solved one? I have not. Uh, one of my buddy's kids is uh, – he actually, I think, participates in cubing competitions. He's a, he's a genuine wizard with these things. He, he doesn't – like the, the normal Rubik's Cube, boring for him. He goes with the ones that – because what is it, like three by three? Yeah. Uh, he does ones that are five by five. Oh and he God. solves them lickety split. So there's a, apparently there's a formula, and once you figure out that formula, then you can conquer the cube. But I, I sucked at all of those Rubik's puzzles. There were various Rubik's puzzles, not just the cube, and I was terrible at all of them, Bob. So I'm with you, man. I would have just thrown it out the window and uh, carried on. Well, they just make you feel stupid, and who needs to be made to, to feel stupid? You know, we have those experiences enough in our lives, right? <laughs> I have to confess, I actually YouTube this little puzzle thing just to look for the answers, because, of course, now, you know, the Internet holds the answer to everything. Watch yeah. the video. Still couldn't figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> it was just awful. Bob right. Irving, thanks for joining us. I know we said told you last week that you were off the hook, but uh, we we roped you back in anyway to for a sneak attack visit for breakfast with the Bombers. So we appreciate it, man. No, no problem. And by the way, the Bombers will be announcing some player signings uh, early in the new year. You can count on it, fans. All right. Oh, and by the way, Bob, I was hoping the moon, as I told you five minutes ago, that the moon looks really cool. It, it appears to have disappeared behind the clouds now. So I don't oh, know if you'll be able to sneak a peek at that. But enjoy your walk. Okay, I will. Thanks, guys. I was at the store yesterday or the day before, Loren, and uh, my bill came out to 2021. I didn't put it together because I'm not that clever, but the kid, he says, hey, 2021, get it? So maybe that, that's a good omen because, indeed, there are so many Manitobans who just cannot wait to say goodbye to 2020. Yeah, just because we can turn the calendar year, though, Brett, doesn't mean we really turn the page on COVID and so much of the stress we might be feeling now will linger into the new year and so we want to talk about how we can prepare for a better year better wellness and that's where dr joanne unger comes in she's a clinical psychologist and clinical director at kid think children's mental health center and she joins us now good morning dr unger good morning what are you hearing from your clients what's the number one concern because i know we've been talking a lot about our mental health this year and and the rise in anxiety how are people feeling as we close out 2020 yeah, I think there's, an, you know, kind of this general level of stress for sure that is kind of sitting heavy on people in terms of having to live our lives in very different ways than we're used to and also putting limits on some of the things that we usually do that kind of help our mental wellness and help us to kind of maintain, you know, an equilibrium, so to speak, in our lives in terms of our physical and our mental well-being. And certainly, like you mentioned, anxiety around different factors of those those um, 
uh, that can contribute to that for sure. Uh, by the way, Dr. Unger, you're sounding a little bit muffled, so maybe if you could oh. just shift the way you're holding your phone, that might uh, do the trick. Oh, yeah. Is there that you. better? Much better, yes. Thank, okay, th- thank you for that. Um, Sorry about that. Oh, no, that's totally fine. Cell phones. The, uh, the fact that the holidays are now over, I know we still have New Year's, but holidays, while they can be great, can also add a ton of anxiety, whether it's pressure to nail the, like stick the landing or can add anxiety just for the, you know, if you, especially if you're alone, can be very lonely. So now that we're moving out of the holidays, could that be a good thing in terms of anxiety and, and helping to alleviate that? Well, absolutely. There's often certain pressures that come with holidays and family get-togethers. And and this year, you know, they added stress of how will we do it this year? How will we um, maintain some of those traditions or some of those experiences that are important to us in different ways? And so I often, you know, encourage people to take time if they have holidays or if there's, you know, a bit of a pause from the regular schedule to do a bit of reflection in terms of how they want to set up kind of if they're going back to work or school or, you know, going back into a regular routine, how is that routine kind of working for them? And are there any kind of tweaks or adjustments that they can make kind of going forward? You know, a new year is sometimes a nice way to to start that reflective piece, right? We're closing 2020 and a lot of people are very happy about that. You know, how do we want to start 2021? What are some you know, just some things that I can do to set up my life that can help me manage that stress a little bit better or things I can add to kind of help my wellness be, you know, a little bit better than it was maybe before we had, before we had the break or the holiday. One thing we're hearing about when it comes to wellness, Dr. Unger, is just the idea of, you know, where all this information fits into it. And I'm a big believer that information is power at the same time the constant scrolling for different news feeds and seeing what's going on in the world and hearing all this bad news really has its impact. And so I was reading this morning about the concept of, yes, we know doom scrolling, right? Where you can't help go down the rabbit hole of all the bad things, but there was also a suggestion of finding joy scrolling and start Googling the things like panda bears or whatever, like just try to find a moment in your day where you're actually, if you're going to be on your phone, looking up happy things. Absolutely. So we know from research, like a practice of gratitude is is one aspect so that that I would add to that in terms of what are the things that are in not just scrolling but what are in our lives that we can be thankful for so looking every day for things that are that are good or that are positive or that we're happy and absolutely what we put in um, to our mind and to our thoughts have has an effect on our mood and how we're doing and we know that you know research around depression there, there's some aspects that talk about um, if we can add joy or fun or good things into our schedule and into our lives. And those are, that's, those are things that can make a, a powerful impact on our, our mood. And that's what I was saying about, you know, kind of rejigging our schedule. What are some things that we can do to add those pieces? Uh, World Health Organization has uh, a survey on their uh, website that looks at balancing the seven dimensions of wellness. And sometimes there's a, a, you know, kind of going through those questions in a self-reflective way, or what are some ways that I can add these positive things into my life, into my social life, emotional well-being, physical well-being, intellectual well-being, how are all these pieces balanced? And then I'm, you know, talking a lot about with my clients around mindfulness, self-compassion, 
adding fun, adding joy, gratitude, those pieces, all those little things can make a really strong impact on our mood, both if we're struggling with either anxiety or depression or just stress in general, to kind of set up our lives and be really intentional about some of those things. Because I think in COVID, you know, there's been, we've had to shift our schedule. And so things have kind of just happened sometimes by accident in terms of how our day is looking. And so have this reflection going, okay, am I getting enough sleep? How is my eating? How's my exercise? How is my social life? Am I connecting virtually with people I love? What am I doing for fun? How can I add that into my life? How am I getting outside? So putting all those pieces, you know, kind of doing a reflection and saying, where, what's one area maybe that I could add? Maybe it's looking for happy things over the internet, or maybe it's, you know, we do a gratitude practice over dinner. Um, what are we doing for enjoyment and fun and rest as well, you know, for working really hard? How do we balance all those pieces? Dr. Joanne Unger, clinical psychologist and clinical director at Kid Think Children's Mental Health Centre, joining us live in 680 CJOB. Thank you so much for the time, as always. Much appreciated. Thank you. Take care. And, Lorraine, you mentioned panda bears. If you just Google the words panda bear snow, Ooh. then you'll have all kinds of fun with the videos Doing that pop up. right now. <laughs> okay. Have fun going down that rabbit hole. <laughs> Every day, you hear the numbers tied to COVID-19. Caseloads, test positivity rates, hospitalizations, and most grimly, deaths. Those stats tell us a lot about the virus, but very little about the people who suffer through the disease and those, Loren, who don't make it. 680 CJOB's Tristan Field-Jones spoke with five Manitobans who graciously agreed to speak with us after losing loved ones to COVID-19. The following are their stories celebrating life and morning death. My mom, oh gosh, I don't even know where to start. My mom was a really remarkable lady. She was adopted as an infant. She found her birth family when she was 58. Uh, she put herself through university when she was a young woman. Uh, she taught nursing for many, many years. Tons and tons of volunteer work in her life. She liked being outside in nature, loved animals, a big, big animal lover, dogs, cats, birds. She had, we always had pets when I was growing up. My father was a very determined, charismatic, but if you walked in the room, he stood very tall. He was six foot two um, and just had this very debonair air about him. He always was dressed up. For his birthday, we always laughed years later because he would always wear a suit and tie on his birthday. My father loved gardening and he would just share his tomatoes and his uh, kale and, you know, his garden had no flowers. It was all about turning the earth into something that could feed a family. Oh, my brother, he was a great person. He had a really good sense of humor, but also he was a very quiet man. He worked all over the place. He did some diamond drilling. He built houses in Pegwis with his brothers. When he was healthy, he loved to play pool. He played a little bit of guitar. He liked VLTs, even though he could only see maybe a foot in front of him. My mother-in-law, she is a very, very loving woman. Loved her children, her, her grandchildren dearly. 
She welcomed me with open arms. She welcomed my children with open arms. Very much enjoyed watching her jets. Loved going for car rides uh, out to Gimli. What really gave her a lot of joy was like listening to music, you know. Um, oh, Bob Seger. Bob Seger. She really liked that. Against the wind, still running. Mum was a very independent woman. She was very devoted uh, to family, friends, and the church. She loved to cook, and uh, she made a peach cobbler to die for. She made a cake with white icing, and she would cut up bananas and put them in between. I think I would eat half the cake in one sitting. She loved to play piano. She wasn't very good at the piano, but I remember her in the living room, playing the piano with one finger and humming to the songs she was playing. I saw him on FaceTime, and I knew my dad was not asymptomatic, and he couldn't follow a very simple uh, direction from me where I said, Dad, please just stand up, just stand up. When he went to dialysis, he got very sick and his oxygen levels dropped and, and that's when they tested him for the COVID virus and he tested positive. And then one thing just led to another and it eventually got worse. So in, in my heart, I kind of knew that he was not going to survive it. One of the sons talked to her. She told him, you know, um, no one's come to look on me, and, and I'm sitting here in, in my own urine. So we called in that paramedics right away and was told, you know, she seems to have having symptoms for the last three days. And we're like, last three days? Where, where was the contact to give us a heads up? They told us she was asymptomatic. You know, and I guess some symptoms creeped up shortly after she was diagnosed. I actually got her results on my birthday and it was very scary. Um, you know, we had really been holding out hope that she just had a seasonal cold. The trajectory that she took uh, was just a steady downhill and the constant worry during the time that she was in the hospital of, you know, worrying that you're gonna get that phone call that it's, we're getting close to the end, but that's still, an excruciating conversation to have to have with a physician to give them the green light to put your mother on a ventilator just to buy you the time to get there to say goodbye. Like that's, it's horrible. The doctor had called Lance, her son, and said, you know, um, it's not going the way we hope. The next morning we did one last FaceTime with her, but she was no longer conscious. And it's, it's, it's the worst thing you'll ever see, someone suffering with COVID. It's just, it's the absolute worst. It, you'll never forget that image. You'll just never forget it. Because although you know they're not in any pain and they've been medicated, the body is still fighting for air. The nurse was on shift and she said, Eddie, I need, we need to move your dad from comfort to care to end of life care. He had myself, my brother Manny, and my brother Louis inside with him. We had candles outside of his window. The rosary was something he grew up with. And I had it on my iPhone. I found it on YouTube, and I just played it on the background. Amen. 
And I said, Dad, everything is good. Everything is perfect here. You just go. We love you. We'll miss you. But you just go because we don't want you to suffer anymore. I got a call about four o'clock in the morning, basically saying she's lethargic and uh, they're on end of life protocol. But I did have a call with her about, oh, 5.30 that evening. She was on oxygen and you can tell she was laboring. The breathing was laboring. and Of course, she wasn't responsive. And uh, we talked to her for, oh, about 30 minutes, you know, and basically said to her, you know, we loved her and you know, it's time to move on, so just let go. And everybody here will be fine. Within an hour after that call, I got a call and she was gone. We couldn't get into the hospital to see him. Maybe the last hour or so of his life that he let our, they let our sister watch him from afar. She got to watch him take his last breaths. It was, it's very heartbreaking when you can't be there. You know, to hug them and kiss them and tell them how much you love them. I didn't think it would be that fast. I'm sorry. I was angry, you know, because I didn't want her to go that way. You know, not COVID just kind of hoping she would make her 100th birthday. But at the end of the day, she had a good life. That's what I hold on to. She's going to miss out on on meeting one of her first great-grandchildren. There are two on the way. And I'll, I'll remember her too for how much she really loved her family. Regardless of anything, she always very much loved them very strong, handsome, uh, very determined. Um, When he smiled, the whole room would smile with him. Uh, That is how I want to remember my dad. I really do believe that my parents are together. um, And I think that 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 does give me some measure of peace. Um, You know, my my mom always used to say, you can't live on coulda, shoulda, whatas. So she wouldn't want us Uh, sort of living in in regret or anger. With everything he's been through and the struggle he had to live all these years, I'm kind of relieved that he's in his happy place. We know he's with the the other brothers, Gerald and uh, William and mom and dad. They're all together. My mother-in-law's name was uh, Brenda Gregory. She was 80 years old, and she had passed away in the evening of November 6th. My mom's name was Elizabeth Ola. Uh, She was 80, and she passed away on November 9th. Lawrence Nelson Favel passed away November the 17th, 2020, at the age of 72. Manuel Callisto. He was 88, and he passed away on November the 11th. Her name was Ethel Lucy. Her mother passed away November 2nd, just three days short of her 100th birthday. The stories of five Manitobans who lost 
loved ones to COVID-19 in this past year. 654 Manitobans have died. Brett, we want to thank those families for being so generous with their time and their stories because really powerful to hear who they were, not just how their lives ended, but who they were in life. And I, and I hope, like so many of them said, that's what the, they will hang on to. And we thank Tristan Field-Jones for putting that feature together. McGarry and McNabb, mackling back on Thursday. In case you're just tuning in and missed what we played a few moments ago, Tristan Field-Jones spoke to five Manitobans who all lost loved ones to COVID-19. And if you want to hear that, you'll be able to hear it in the audio vault at cjob.com just after 9 o'clock when it goes into the vault. Kristen texting in response to that piece saying, I lost my uncle in October to cancer, COVID complicated things when he was moved into end-of-life care. We got to see him. We got to say goodbye, kiss him, hug him. I can't imagine not being able to be there with their loved ones. Tristan Field-Jones joins us live now on The Start. Tristan, why was it important for you to tell this story, to tell the story of these five Manitobans? I think, uh, Brett and Loren, it's important to remember the humanity behind the numbers. Um, You know, every day when I'm doing the news anchor shift at about 12.30, those new COVID-19 numbers come out and I have the responsibility, I guess, of announcing those uh, every single day. And, you know, you do that after a while for months and months and months on end. And especially when, you know, we've been dealing with multiple deaths daily for... uh, I don't know, since early October, even before that. And I think for me, it was one of these things where I needed to remind myself that I was human, that I'm not just some robot sitting behind the desk, reading out numbers and spitting out facts and figures because, and and I think during times like these, when um, we are all, inundated with numbers and facts and death tolls and hospitalizations and test positivity rates, all these sorts of things. I think it's very important for us to remember that there are human beings that suffer through this. And if we keep remembering, if we keep those human beings in mind, I think that can help us, you know, keep keep in mind that the the scale and the scope of the of the tragedy that we're going through. So, in in essence, Brett, I think it was just I, I for myself and for the people out there. I think we desperately needed to remember that human component to all this. Yeah, and starting with that audio of them just talking about who their dads and and moms and and grandparents were, and just talking about you know they like to play pool or uh, work with their brothers, all those kinds of things are just so normal, and it's been such an abnormal, unusual, unprecedented, whatever you want to call it, year. So to add those faces to the add the names to it, I think is so incredibly important, Tristan, and, and to also hear the beginning of their lives as well as the end. Was there a common theme for any of the families or conversations you had? They all lost lives to COVID, but did you notice any similarities when it came to even just that, that end of life moment? Because so many of them couldn't be with the, who they wanted to be with at that time. I think one of the most interesting aspects, Loren, was when, and, and you hear it throughout the piece too, when they're about to pass away, a lot of the, the relatives and the loved ones say, 
you know, it's okay. You can go. You can go. It's almost like giving permission for your your loved one to pass on. And and to me, that was the the most kind of tragic and and yet the most common part of all this is that it was almost as if they were giving permission in a way, just to say, hey, you can go. We'll be fine. And, and that was a theme throughout the whole thing. I mean, it, it's it really is remarkable when you just take a few minutes to talk to another human being how similar you are to them especially in situations like this and i think that really comes out in that piece these are five separate people from five totally different backgrounds and yet those stories are all very relatable and all very human well it was important to share the story and we're getting a lot of people texting us uh, like rob in st james who says the life stories of the beautiful souls that passed was so moving and i weep as i send this text so tristan thank you very much for putting that together for us and sharing that important story. And as you put it, it is an important reminder as we get bombarded every day with numbers and stats and test positivity rates that uh, this is affecting people, that we are trying to save the lives of Manitobans so that more Manitoban families don't have to deal with this kind of tragedy. So thank you, sir. Yes, indeed. I was uh, saddened by this news. I was scrolling through Facebook the other day. One of my friends had been working to collect new furniture for a women's shelter and safe house. And on Christmas Eve, the warehouse where everything was being stored went up in flames. Stacy Bugsdrucker is the name of our guest. We've spoken to her before. She has a Winnipeg painting and renovations business called Chick with a Brush. She joins us now. Stacy, I think I kind of tripped up on your name. You gave me a bit of a clinic when we first had you on. Did I get it close to right? We, we're laughing at you here. We you know, really are. It's uh, Bugstrucker. The German form of it, though, is Bugstrucker. Ah, well, okay. All right. Then, see, because I remember you telling me the pronunciation of it, and I thought, yep. I think that's the, the way to go, but it's just Bugstrucker. All right, fair enough. So laugh it up, fuzzball. As, uh, <laughs> what movie is that from? Oh, that's from Star Wars. Anyway, I'm not trying to, to be too goofy here because, you know, we're here to bring you on about something quite serious. So before we discuss the fire, uh, Stacy, tell us what you and your friends were doing to, to help out with this safe house. Well, um, Bell MTS 5TV1 and I have been doing the Chick with a Brush show. And uh, during this, we uh, were painting the shelters because that's part of my history. And uh, doing so, the, I didn't like the furniture at the shelter. So my friends and I secretly started uh, collecting all kinds of things from people. And when we were finished painting it, we were going to furnish the place and surprise Shona. How um, many people would you have been helping, Stacy? <sighs> Hundreds of people go through this shelter all the time. You know, domestic violence, um, women being exploited, it's drug addiction. I mean, it's it's such a problem in the world that, you know, hundreds. So. So then there's this fire on Christmas Eve, no less. Uh, any idea what happened or how it started? No, I don't know anything about the fire. Um, so I, I can't speak on that. But um, I just know that the stuff we collected burned in it. So, But with that being said, the response to this has been overwhelming. I haven't even been able to start getting back to people that have been calling me about this. So the good of it is 
not only are we able to fill this shelter, but we are able to fill a couple shelters. And not only that, we are also able to, when these ladies leave these programs, we'll be able to put furniture in their new homes. Um, Some of this furniture is not new, of course. Um, I have a hobby of refurbishing furniture. While being at the shelter, a lot of the girls said that they would be interested in learning how to do this. So the positive on this, not for the warehouse, but for the shelter, the outcome is a lot better. There is so much good to take from it, Stacey, but, but I'm just curious, when you got the call or notification that there had been that fire, what went through your head? Because I think I'm thinking of the same images I saw kind of make the rounds on social media on the weekend of that fire in Heading Lee, and I, I'm wondering if that time you ever even imagined that, that was going to impact something you were involved with. I, I, knew it would do, I knew that it would affect what we had, but in the same breath, I knew that I came from Winnipeg, and I knew if I said something... Winnipeg will fill the place up with love because that's just who we are. You know, no matter what kind of crisis is going on in our old worlds, when there's a, a good cause, Winnipeg pulls together. And that is definitely one thing I am proud of. Stacy, if anybody listening wants to help or reach out with a donation or help out in any way that they can, what should they do? Who do they contact? Um, this afternoon, today or tomorrow, we will be putting out a GoFundMe page. Uh, the camera crew and I are working on that right now. And the donations, I will be getting back to everybody as soon as I can. Um, Like I said, it's been overwhelming. And not only that, but it's brought together so many women calling me, telling me about their stories and what's worked for them on healing and how they want to actually help me start to open up another shelter. So what came out of this is just, wow. You know, people really open their hearts and... I'm just really thankful that I can be a part of this and witness all the love. So what's the goal now, Stacey, in terms of you're going to gather what you can for donations? Do you have sort of a target date where you'd like to get this furniture to the shelter? What are you aiming for? I'm hoping to have the shelter done with stuff in it in the next, within the next couple of weeks. Um, first, we're going to concentrate on this shelter, get it finished. Then we're going to see what's left and possibly get the next shelters ready. Um, and a bunch of ladies and I are starting to work on building a future shelter. So there's a lot of work ahead of us. Well, Stacy, as long as I've known you, you've never really stopped working, so that's great. And this is all outstanding stuff. Good for you. I'm glad that out of this you know, tragic event that so many good things have happened. Before we let you go, though, Stacy, we have to ask you, because you mentioned it, the Chick with a Brush show. Is this something that's currently in production, or is it something that we can already see? We are in production right as we speak, and uh, it'll be shown this spring. Late spring, I think, we'll, it'll be aired on Bell, 5, Bell MTS 5 TV 1. That's- yeah, I am the first person that has got that right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stacey Bugs-Drucker joining us live on CJOB. Thank you so much for taking the time to tell us about this. Uh, out of this awful event has come some, some pretty great news, so thank you for sharing. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. 
And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.